Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. I am glad that you are joining us today at Summit Church. Again, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to serve you, to be able to share God's Word together. So thankful for those of you that are here in person and those that um, are joining us online. We are grateful to have you with us as well. Take your Bibles, and if you will, open them or turn them on. Open them up, turn them on to James chapter 2 in the New Testament. The book of James chapter 2 is our text for this morning. We're starting at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one near you, maybe under the seat in front of you. While you're finding James, just let me share this. Last, uh, just yesterday, I saw an American, a United States flag from the, the 1800s. It is on display in a little white church, Hamilton Church, little white church just down the road on, on Bertrand Road. And in the back of that church, uh, taking up um, a major portion of, uh, of the back outside wall is an American flag that was used by President Lincoln it's from the 1800s. It was used during his campaigns. It is, it's an interesting piece of American history, right um, near where we live. It's, a, it's an amazing piece. Now, I, I love American history. Uh, um, it's not all honorable. I understand that. I'm painfully aware of that. But as an American, I love my homeland. Now, I don't love it as much as I love my heavenland, but it, in my opinion, this is a great land, and there have been many great people who were Americans. I'm grateful that why, while President Lincoln was president, slavery was abolished. Territorial integrity was preserved among other things, such as the passage and the ratification of the 13th Amendment, the 13th Amendment that dealt with slavery, and the 14th Amendment that had to do with due legal process, and the 15th Amendment that um, gave people the, the opportunity, exercised the privilege of voting. Those were all added to the Constitution of the United States. It took an American Civil War but these major moves forward in the development of the United States while Lincoln was leading our nation are impressive. A biographer by the last name of Whitney who wrote Lincoln's uh, life story, wrote biographies about Lincoln's life, he wrote in his own book of memories, he, he said, if I had known Lincoln was such a great man, there are many things that he said that I might have also written down. You see, he was so close to the president in so many ways, uh, even being close to him for weeks at a time, 
yet he didn't recognize the greatness of the man that he was with. I share all that to help set up the context for this morning's message. It helps to give context to the message, as you'll see in, in a few minutes. But let me first make the connection again between James and Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, lets us know that Jesus had four brothers. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, along with several sisters. I want you to read with me of Matthew chapter 13. Here's what it says. And then when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. Coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Did you see James listed in that list of brothers? Now, there were multiple people in the Bible who shared names, uh, other disciples even who had the same names, but this list here in Matthew 13 is a list of Jesus' brothers. And even living close to Jesus for many years, they didn't know the greatness of Jesus. The greatness of Jesus was swallowed up in their minds by the family tree. He's one of us. He's just one of the brothers. And, and even though they had a front row seat to Jesus' life, they lacked perspective. In fact, James and his siblings thought that, that Jesus was, was kind of lost on himself. They, they didn't believe him. They thought he was mistaken about his claims, mistaken about his ideas. They loved him as a brother. They respected him as family. But they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the long-awaited King of the Jews. In fact, James didn't come to believe in his brother um, as an early adopter at all. James became a disciple of Jesus. He is the author of our text. But it wasn't until later in his life. What is it that convinced James to be a follower of Jesus? What made the difference for James so that he would finally believe his brother Jesus was the Savior? He, it was, in fact, the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. That convinced James that Jesus was who he said he was. The Gospels don't talk about the, how, how they actually met, uh, per se, but, uh, but the Apostle Paul, in Paul's uh, recording of events, he mentions this fact. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see this text. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. So now we're, we're reading in Scripture some of what we affirmed with worship in that song this morning. I believe in God the Father. So he, what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried... He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul is recording this. 
Now watch this. Then he appeared to James. James, his brother. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared, Paul saying, I saw him too. He appeared to me. In Paul's record of events, Jesus appeared to Peter, to the twelve, more than 500 brothers, then to James, the apostles, and last of all, the apostle himself. But as he lists that list, in what sense, there's something that jumps out when he says he, Jesus appeared to James. You see, James, now, Jesus appeared to Mary. Of course, Mary was there when, when Jesus was born, and she was there when he died. And he said to her when he was on the cross, you know, uh, he, he talked about her comfort. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I wonder if Mary thought about that when she recalled that saying of Jesus when she heard him call her by name when they were in the garden and the tomb was empty. Mary. And then she recognized him. We might have expected as well that he would appear to Cephas, to Peter, who had cruelly and shamefully denied Christ, but he had wept bitterly and then repented. And then for Jesus to look at him and say, Hey, Peter, I, I was dead. You knew I was dead, but I am now alive. That was profound. But James, James was his brother. His brothers, one of the brothers who did not believe his claim to be Savior, they rejected him. They had tried to coach him on this point. They tried to warn him not to go to Jerusalem because of fear for his life. They must have regretted his violent and shameful death on the cross. But here James, probably the oldest, he was listed first, probably the oldest of Jesus' brothers. He had a firsthand experience of his brother Jesus, and now he saw, he saw, he knew he was dead, and now he saw him alive. And the appearance to, to the other disciples and friends were to convince them that Jesus had risen from the dead. But James was not yet a believer. But when he saw the Christ, his brother, who was dead and now is alive, it, it changed him. Jesus revealed himself, not just to convince him that he was alive to serve, but he, it, was, it was for the purpose of changing him from, from an unbeliever to be a, a follower of Christ himself, a disciple. Can you imagine James at work in the carpenter shop in Nazareth? And he's thinking about all of these things. If only our brother had taken our advice, he could be alive. If only he had listened to us, mom and dad wouldn't be suffering because a son is crucified on the cross. We warned him. Um, but he went his own way. He went to Jerusalem and his enemies were there and they put him to death. Man, things sure could have been different. And then in the next moment, he hears a voice saying, James, James, it's your brother Jesus. <laughs> standing before him, just as he had known him in the flesh, stands Jesus. I'll bet in that little carpenter shop, it was hard to cut a straight line for the next month. He's alive. And Jesus tells James, tell your brothers and sisters that I love them, that I've risen from the dead. Jesus is concerned about his family. He wins them as disciples. Now watch this. Hard-headed James. I don't believe it. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't matter. You know, I deal with the, you know, the fallout from a brother who, 
who died a tragic death, but he was hard-headed. One of the four brothers who didn't believe in Jesus, he lived with him for more than 30 years, never accepted as the Messiah, never expected that Jesus would rise from the grave. But nonetheless, Jesus appears to James and he turns him into a believer. When Jesus appeared to him, after his death and resurrection, James saw him as the Son of God, the Redeemer. And James goes on, we know history records, to become a leader and a bishop in the church of Jerusalem. Paul recognized James as one of the pillars of the church. James becomes the author of the letter that bears his name. And in that letter he signs, notice those first words of James writing, he simply says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes the man who was noted for the emphasis that he placed on a Christian life. He's the one who said, listen, I didn't believe it before, but I have seen with my own eyes. I am a personal witness. He was my brother. I knew him. He died, and he is now back alive. And he said, I believe. And not only that, he said, because I believe, I am all in. I, am go- I, I, I believe who he is. I believe what he says. I'm going to do what, he, what, what he's told me to do. And he writes a letter to some Christians, to some believers. And he says, I, I am a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave. I'm a slave, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this, my friends, he says, brothers and sisters, This then is how you should live. He so bought (laughs) the the idea of who Christ was, he put his faith in Jesus Christ, He, he, he lived out the rest of his life making good on it. He's the guy who said, listen, your faith, when it's when it's true, people will see the evidence of that. So watch this. In James chapter 2, he says, brothers and sisters. Believers, you believe in this Lord Jesus Christ? I do too. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Some of your versions use the word partiality. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring with fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you, so special, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, partiality, you sin and are convicted by the law is lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he said, for who 
For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, in, my, in this message today, I'm going to try and not make difficult a simple truth. There is a problem with favoritism. Partiality is a problem. In fact, from verse 1, we'll see it clearly. Favoritism is unbiblical. Partiality, it's unbiblical. It's forbidden in Scripture. God does not show favoritism. God does not have favorites. He chose the Jews as his people, but he sent the gospel to the Gentiles too. Whoever, whosoever will may come. The gospel is impartial. The gospel, once believed, places you, no matter what your race or social status or financial status, the gospel places you as a child of God and a brother and sister in the body of Christ. The gospel is from Jesus Christ to whoever will believe. He does not accept brides, uh, bribes, and he does not make special deals. In a world that we live in, that you get the sense that much of the direction of, of, of many things is determined in dimly lit, smoke-filled back rooms where uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, we'll cut a deal. That is something that is not a part of the heart of God or should not be a part of the family of God. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality taking bribes or taking bribes. Throughout the Old Testament, the equality of humankind is, is maintained. Leviticus 19, verse 15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. So it is unbiblical. Favoritism is unbiblical. It belies the fact that believers are all heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. It's it is not a demonstration of the heart and the character of God. It judges the person from the outside rather than the heart. It's unbiblical. It cannot be allowed. The sin of favoritism is not to be evident in the life of a believer. It ought not to be seen in the church. Sometimes churches haven't dealt with this because preachers don't talk about it because people don't want to hear about it. But God's Word hasn't remained silent on this issue. Let me give you, I'm going to identify just quickly for us three favoritism problems or three partiality problems. One is uh, financial favoritism. To show favoritism or partiality to the wealthy. So it would be a situation where you say, well listen, when the mayor comes in, the mayor gets the front seat, but if a poor person comes in, they have to stand in the back there would be people who would say, boy, I, I, don't, I choose not to worship with people who, who have financial needs. 
Or a church would say, well, I, you know, we, we appoint people who are wealthy to leadership. We never engage the poor. We promote people who seem to have power in the community or position to leadership. We ignore the rest. We give special treatment to the wealthy to cater to and listen more to those who have power and possessions is favoritism. It's partiality. It's, it's a favoritism problem. How dare we practice partiality and favoritism which is totally contrary to who God is. Adjusting the message to suit the wealthy is a deadly practice for a church. I know why many churches do it. It's because they are afraid that the wealthy will leave with their loot. <laughs> but God is impartial. He doesn't show favoritism. His love is impartial. The gospel is impartial. His judgment is impartial. Let me talk about another area of favoritism that is a problem, and that's racial favoritism or racial partiality. Here's another place of partiality um, where people would say, we should have the whites worship here and the blacks worship there and the Latinos worship there and the Orientals, the Asians, worship someplace else. So we would say, let them, let them be quiet in their church because we are noisy here or we are noisy here and so... Um, or, yeah, we're noisy here, so they should be quiet. Or, or, or you understand what I'm saying? I, I want them to worship like I want them to worship. Um, why ruin the way it is? Look, um, that's not by God's design. It's a default position of human to separate. That is not of God. To unify is of God. Or to show favoritism to one race over another, to listen to what one race would say over what someone else would say simply based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity, to dismiss more one than the other, to deny the fact that together we're better, to deny liberty to intermarry and love someone of another race, to distinguish who we will worship with. To refuse to serve or to have fellowship with other believers. We can't play games with this. And so many times it becomes an attitude of the heart that becomes an action. How James looks at this, he says, Look, it can't be that way. Watch this. When James is speaking to believers, it was when the mystery of the church, it was just coming alive. James was convinced. He saw the change in his own life. He was a witness of, of the, the unifying power of Christ. And he lived in a day when Two, two groups. Um, this was a message that, that he, he knew Jesus was teaching. James taught it. 
that unified two of the most hated groups that ever lived, the Jews and the Gentiles. They hated each other. They were socially, racially, economically, religiously as divided as any race could ever be. And yet the gospel of Christ brought them together. The gospel message was a message of peace that called men who hated each other to a place of oneness and love. And so, remember, James was not an early adopter. He, he saw, in fact, Jesus looked at, at Thomas, another one of his disciples. He said, you believe, you see my hands. You saw that I died. You see that I'm alive. James, you lived with me for 30 years. You knew I died. Now you see me alive. He said, you believe. That's good. He said, blessed are those that will come after you that won't see, but they'll still believe. That's you and me. But James so believed, he said, this changed my life. And he began to, have to, to accept Christ, and then he would hear the message. Well, the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves, he saved a Gentile. And now James has to deal with that reality. This person that I would hate because of his race, hate because he's different than me um, uh, religiously, hate, hate him because of the difference that he was um, you know, economically or socially or his status. He goes, wait a minute. Jesus, my brother, he died for him and he called him brother and I'm his brother and he's his brother. And he had to realize really quickly that this favoritism that he had in, in his mind that was, that was based on finances or, or race was not of God. Social favoritism is another place. This idea seems to sink um, into our hearts and minds when it comes to those. We say, well, listen, we, we're going to minister to those who can somehow benefit me back. Those with special needs or of low position. Um, if, if we can't put them in a colored brochure and include them as a part of our church. Maybe, you know, there's, there's an idea that they're not good enough somehow. And you show favoritism socially. Do you know that all of us, in one sense, have been social outcasts? We all were lost and dead in sin. We, we were... We were on a wide road headed fast to destruction. We all were beggars. We all had great needs. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. God in his mercy, he doesn't show favoritism. And, and even the social favoritism, James says, um, what difference does it make what their social status is? Not their financial status, not their ethnic status, not their social status. And sometimes... We look at people and we make quick judgments and it's an issue of the heart. We make a judgment and say, listen, that person in their social status is in a really tough spot. And we say, listen, you know, they're lazy. They might not be lazy. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, um, you see a woman with, who is a single parent with, you know, raising several children and it's not because she was lazy at all. It could be that her husband kicked her out of the house and is with some other woman. And she finds herself in a very difficult spot. It could very well be that there's a man out there whose wife left him 
for another man, and he now is alone, and he's trying to figure out what is happening. It could be a soldier who served in our, our country to defend our freedoms, who saw things and, and experienced things that um, civilians uh, have never dealt with, and all of a sudden, all of those things coming together put him in a place or her in a place where socially they don't know how to adapt well and we see them as odd or different or people with special needs. Now, we all have needs. We all are broken in some way. We all need God's healing touch in our lives. And James says this whole idea of favoritism and partiality, it is unbiblical. It is unbiblical. But notice he also says it is unjust. It is unjust because favoritism when someone and the thing that you see and that I see in this world um, time and time again, it's, um, there, there may be people that both have equally committed a crime and one gets off and one gets punished. That kind of in- favoritism, it is, there is injustice that is happening. You see, it discriminates under false pretense. It falsely assumes the earthly status determines um, privilege. It magnifies um, or marginalizes people who who are accepted by Christ. It's unjust. It's unjust. Favoritism is also unloving. James says practice the royal rule. You see it in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Favoritism is unloving. James says, practice the royal rule. Love as Christ loved you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do the right thing toward people. Quit judging people. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't point out right from wrong. There are times that pointing out right from wrong is the most loving thing you can do. If someone is in sin or thinking the wrong thing, you who are mature should encourage them to know and follow the truth. That is the most loving thing you can do. It is wrong for a church to lovingly, under the guise of loving people, love them straight to hell. You tell them the truth. But how you do that matters, okay? In those last verses, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Now watch this, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And he says favoritism is is unloving. Favoritism is also unwise. (laughs) And again, I find that in those last verses. It is unwise because it causes some to cater to those who are actually enemies of God. Do you see that where he says, uh, by the way, um, brothers and sisters, um, isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? There's times you say, well, listen, ooh, this person is of great fame or they're of great fortune. And, and um, what is amazing to me is people, it, it does, gives them a false platform even to speak to issues. And when they speak to those issues, it's like 
because they are wealthy or because they are famous that what they say counts more. He goes, look, he said, isn't it oftentimes those the people that are causing trouble, dragging you to court, causing all kinds of issues? It's unwise. He said, it causes harm to the family of God. It's unwise because it causes harm to the family of God. To be in a place, to be in a family where you know that you have something to bring to the table and somebody values your gift. You, you, you have been gift, you've been saved by the same Savior. You have been given a gift by the same Lord. And your gift matters as much as anyone else's gift. He says, when you, the problem of favoritism is it ruins that kind of fellowship. And then, of course, it's unwise because we will be judged based on how we judge others. So here's the adage that we used to hear from our parents that was simply this. It said, what, what goes around comes around. The way you treat others is the way they will treat you. Scripture here simply says, act, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has been who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Favoritism is unwise. God will judge all impartially. His nature is impartial. And God will show no mercy at all to those who have showed no mercy. He is impartial. And his judgments are impartial. I'm going to ask the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. This is such a simple message. But you and I know that it's hard to play out because James, he saw something in himself. He saw something in other believers. And he said, well, I'm convinced that this Jesus, my brother, is who he said he is. And he came to save. And he's, he, he has set something in motion that is going contrary to the world that I'm living in. But he's saying he paid a high price for this. He's so, he so wanted the believers to follow Christ in this. And I can hear him today saying, folks, this is, this is so simple. <laughs> I mean, there was two thoughts that I had this morning or this week about this text that caused me pause for a moment. One is, well, should we hurry up and just get through James? And there's a pretty important passage of Scripture that's coming after this that talks about dead faith. And maybe we should just include this in and lump this in. And then the other thought was, maybe I should just, it's so simple, I should just read the text and say, well, there's the message. Sit down and call it good. <laughs> Some Sunday, maybe. But I see it through the eyes of Jesus' brother. And if I have this right, he's our brother too. And Jesus is our brother. And there's something so important here that he says, I want you to get this. The family has to get this. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. Is there an area in 
your life where you're showing favoritism or partiality. It might have something to do with how you raise kids. It might have something to do with how you treat people of a different um, affluent level. It may have something to do with people who have different history or heritage or ethnicity. But would you open yourself up to simply say, God, if you're speaking to me in some area of my life about this, I, 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 want, I want to be a person who's not guilty of partiality and favoritism. I wonder if we would examine even closer the life of our church. And we would say, James is talking to individuals, but he's also talking to the greater church. What areas in our church have we wittingly or unwittingly, knowingly or unknowingly, <coughs> shown favoritism or we're partial to a group of people? And to say, let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's, let's hear what James is saying to us and let's see if God directs our steps in a way that would help us to be like James, all in. <laughs> and would you, like James, build your life on who Christ is, His Word, and His intentions for us. Be a little bit more like Jesus. To live our faith. Faith without those works is dead. Not saved by works. Faith without works is dead. So Lord, to that end, we build our life on who You are, our firm foundation, the truth of Your Word, the person of Christ. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 